Good morning, everyone. How are you today? We're doing good. Good morning. Are you ready for the word? Great. I am excited and ready to give you the word today. Grab your Bibles, grab your notebooks, and let's jump right into this. It's actually, I can hear the Lord throughout worship today, and even what Maria was saying during that time of prayer. It's all part of the message, and we didn't connect all these things together. But how many of you know the Holy Spirit has a theme, and the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing? Today, if you're taking notes, which I encourage you to always take notes, please entitle it, Is God First in Your Life? Is God First in Your Life? Is God First in Your Life? We're talking about a Blessed Life series. And in order for life to be blessed, things need to be in order. That's how God gets the blessing into our lives. And by placing God first, then everything else can begin to fall into line. If God isn't first, then no matter how many attempts we try to get marriage right, or raising kids right, or finances right, or business right, if God is not first, front and center, then none of this will be right. It can't be right until he is in his proper place in your life. Amen. And then the blessed life can begin. So today is about making sure God is in first place, in his proper place in our lives. You can actually start looking throughout the Old Testament and looking throughout all the Bible and you begin to even see God's commands a little differently. God's commands aren't so much a law in order to control, but a lot of his commands, his feasts, his ceremonies, his practices, you can trace them to God attempting to help his people keep him first. First in their calendar, first in their giving, first in their work life and what they bring in. So we can begin to change that language. Too many times we think God is just trying to control rather than God's trying to have relationship, to bless you, to keep your life in order so that you can live the blessed life he has for you. Can I get an amen? amen. So let's change our thoughts on rules, regulations, laws, commands, and begin to think of God as trying to help us. Somebody say help us. He's trying to help you prosper. He's trying to help you be victorious. He's trying to help you make it through this life until you can get to the real life on the other side and to try to make it through as productively and as blessed as possible. And so today we're going to talk about God and some of his commands, but seeing them through the lens of him helping us keep him first. Because we too often have this nature about us, this fallen nature, this human nature, to where he begins to move out of that first place. And we have this weird desire to make other things, other people, other systems first in our lives. And he knows that about us. He knows that frailty about us, which is why he keeps reminding us, hey, keep me first. Keep me first in your week. Get to church. Get your head right, right? Come on. Keep me first in your business. Keep me first in how you make decisions. Keep me first and everything else will begin to come into line. Open your Bibles, if you would please, to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, this is God giving the Ten Commandments. The top ten. Somebody say top ten. <laughs> the top ten. Exodus chapter 20. Then God gave, this is verse 1 through 6. 
Then God gave the people all of these instructions. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other gods but me. Some translations say, have no other gods before me. But I love the New Living because he's saying, no, not just before me, there's no other gods but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in heaven or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I want you to hear that. God will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. He's revealing this to you about himself, not to punish you, not to penalize you, but to inform you about how and what he wants and how to bring it to pass. You must not bow down to them, for I am your Lord, your God, I am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other God. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children to the entire family. It is affected. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, it's affected. Verse 6, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and who obey my commands. That's God's desire. God's desire is not to bring a curse or for you to be in a curse. It's not even that he brings a curse. It's that you step into a curse. When you begin to put another God before him, when you begin to bow down, bow your knee to something other than him, you begin to come underneath that curse. And it can affect you, and then you're going to train your children and your grandchildren because they all begin to follow that pattern. You begin to have this family line of people that put other gods before God. But if you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, if you'll have no other gods before him, then that will bless your generations for a thousand generations. Isn't that great? But then you have to ask yourself these weird questions like, why do we make other gods? I mean, here we are making God. We know we're making those gods. They're no gods at all. We, we formed them out of wood. We formed them out of gold. We formed them out of stone. We begin to say those things are gods. Why do we have that nature? Why do we have that problem that we begin to put other things other than God before him? But there's that temptation and there's that propensity to do that. God says in here that you will have no other gods before me. And I, I ask the question, why? Why is he so upset about that? Why is God so strict? Uh, you'll have no other gods before me. And I believe the reason is this. Because he knows there are no other gods than him. <laughs> Can we wake up to that, church? God is saying, wake up. There are no other gods than me. I am the most high God. I am God Almighty. Amen. He is supreme in the universe. So then he knows any other God that you call God or you try to serve or you try to believe in is going to fail you. This is why your God is so passionate that you don't try to serve some other God because he knows it's not able to save you. 
He knows it's not able to protect you, to provide for you. It is not your source. It does not know you. It did not create you. It is not going to be there for you. And so God is adamant. Do not worship any other God than me because I am the only one. You get excited about that. Amen. You know, God says that he's jealous. God isn't jealous of us. He's not jealous of your car. He's not jealous of your good looks. He's not jealous of us. And he's not actually jealous of other gods. He's jealous for us. He's jealous for our affection. He's jealous for our love. Because he knows nothing else will satisfy you like his love does. There is no greater one than him. I love this. God cannot tolerate watching you give yourself or your love to anything else or less than him. Anything that can't love you back. Do you hear that? That's that jealousy. It's not that he's jealous of you, but he's passionate for you. And he sees you giving your love to something that's not loving you back. Something that's not willing to give its life for you. Are you hearing me? God is going to love you better and he knows he's going to love you better. Because he's real. And he knows those things are false. In his command, we see that God also knows mankind will begin to look to other gods for help. For some reason, we continue to do that. That's our fallen nature. That's our habit. We begin to look for those fallen gods, those gods that are not gods at all. They cannot help us. We begin to look to them for help. And we begin to worship them for some reason. With our attention, with our energy, with our treasure, with our, our emotions, with our everything. Even though they're not gods at all. So he warns against it because he knows that weakness. So God sets up practices throughout scripture. He sets up protocols and he sets up systems in order to help us keep him first, in order to help us keep things in order, in order to help us stay aware that he is our God, he has first place, and everything belongs to him. So again, you begin to see those commands, you begin to see those practices as God trying to help us. Say help us. Not hurt us. Not take something from you. God doesn't need anything from us. So these practices, these processes, these systems, these commands, they're here to help us with that tendency to start looking at other things, to start worshiping other things, to start prioritizing other things. And so God says, no, I'm your priority. No, I'm your God. No, I'm your provider. I'm your source. I am your center. There you go. Revival in the back. When we start with the reality of God as God, let's just keep that simple. This is all about a real God, amen? He's not a false God. He's not a man-made God. We didn't invent or create him out of our imagination. This is about the reality of God. Then we understand everything comes from him. He is our life source. He gives us the strength. He gives us the opportunity. He gives us the wisdom. He gives us the health. Amen. Everything is by him, through him. Everything belongs to him. He is God Almighty. Everything then is in order from his first commands. There is no other gods before you. 
And so God begins, I'm going to begin to share with you some of these commands and practices, especially in the area of finance today. We're going to be talking again about the blessed life, the tithe, the first portion. Next week I start a new series on family. I'm excited about that. But today we're going to continue in this vein of why would God want the first and the best. And now let's look at it through this idea of God trying to help us worship Him, not money. Worship and trust Him, not our arm or our treasure. Amen. God is God. So he begins to speak these commands and these practices. Leviticus 27.30. The Bible says, One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to Him as holy. So God is saying the first 10% of all the fruits of the trees, of all the crops, of everything that comes out of the ground, belongs to God. Why is God saying that? Because He wants to eat fruit? No, but because He wants you to give Him the first portion because it all belongs to Him and He wants you to honor Him. Why? So that you are treating Him, you are worshiping Him, you are remembering He is first. He is God. Amen. That's why. That's why it's set apart for him. It's his. It's his. Exodus 13, 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. That's the firstborn of both humans and animals must be brought to me. So now God is saying the first 10% of all the land, of all the crops, of all the fruit, of all the cattle, of all the sheep, of all the animals, and of all the humans. <laughs> he wants there to be a practice where the first is dedicated to him. Do you hear God saying, it's all mine? It all comes from me? Do you know even our children are a blessing from the Lord? Amen. They come from the Lord, come on. They actually don't belong to us. They're his, they're his children. That's why even how we raise them, we don't raise them the way we want to just raise them. We raise them to honor him. We raise them with that idea, that concept, he's God, he's center, he's first. God says in this, they belong to me. And then Exodus 13 verse. In the King James, he actually says, it's mine. Don't you love that? It's almost like God is intentionally talking to us the way we so immaturely talk to him sometimes. When we're like, it's mine. God's like, no, no, mine. Those crops, they're mine. I work for them. I produce them. And God's like, they're mine. Mine. God's like, mine. <laughs> mine. Mine. And he's just reminding us, it's all his. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it. Amen. This is what it's like to serve the real God. Not a God that we just create and we can just manipulate him and do whatever we want, but the God that teaches us what he wants. Amen. It's his. It's all his. It's mine, he says. It belongs to me. God is clearly saying everything is his, from our livestock to our families and our crops. The principle here is once you offer the first, the rest is blessed. 
You're going to see that throughout the scripture. That if the people would just offer God the first, then he, what he's saying is, honor me with the first and I'll bless the rest. Because it's all in order. It's all been, it's all been centered and focused. So none of these things are going to become your source. None of these things are going to become what gives you peace. None of these things are going to be your protection. It's me. It's me. Are you hearing me, church? It's all me. And so what God is saying, the principle is simple. It's just give me the first and the best and all the rest will be blessed. Give me the first. Say the first. And the best. And all the rest is blessed. Amen. Because it's all in order. It's all in order. They would offer it or they would, they would either offer it by sacrificing it or they would buy it back with the lamb. That's how they would offer their children, right? We know obviously that people wouldn't offer their children to God. So what they would do is to sacrifice or to sanctify or to redeem that first. They would bring a lamb in replacement of their child, right? And that's a redeeming sacrifice. But there was still a offering made on behalf of then redeeming their firstborn back to the Lord. Are you understanding that? Okay. So again, we give God the first and the rest is blessed. Here's a beautiful picture of that. God gave Jesus, amen, the first, amen, his one and only son. He gave Jesus first that the rest would be blessed. Amen. Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. He was offered, God offered him, amen, as his tithe, amen, to receive the blessed harvest of the rest of us. Isn't that powerful? Why does God ask for the first? You can write this in your notes. Why does God ask for the first? Because it takes faith to offer the first one. It takes faith. It takes faith to offer the first lamb. You want to know why? Because you don't know that you're going to get any more. Think about that. Before you know there will be any more, you give God the first. Amen. To offer the first, you don't know that there will be a second. God doesn't say wait till you have ten lambs and offer one of the ten. He says offer the first. Offer the first of the fruits. Offer the first of the harvest. Offer the first. It's not the ten percent that enacts the blessing. It's always faith that enacts the blessing. It's giving God the first and by faith believing the rest is blessed. Before you get the rest, you gave him the first. That's good, church. Amen. God gave Jesus first before we were saved. He gave him before we were cleaned up. He gave us before there was harvest. Are you understanding? While we were still sinners, God gave his first and his best. That the rest would be blessed. By faith that the rest, others would come. Are you hearing me? It's not the 10%, it's the faith in it being first. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9. The Bible says, honor the Lord with your wealth. With the best part, which is the first fruits, New King James says first fruits, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part, the first fruits of everything, say everything, everything. you produce, then 
See, there it is. After you honor, after you give him first and best, then he will fill your barns with grain. Your vats will overflow with good wine. I want to point out that that's a proverb. That's not even in the law. That's just wisdom speaking. That's just the wisdom of that generation saying, we've seen this, we've practiced this, that if we keep God first, if we keep him centered, if we keep our focus and our appreciation upon him, then everything else will begin to multiply and be blessed in our lives. And they didn't say it as a law. They were like, that's just wisdom, people. That's just the way life works. Amen. This is how you work best, how you function best. Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. As you harvest your crops, here it is again, God speaking. As you harvest your crops, bring the very best. That would be the first. Of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. It's like, man, God, he's demanding. He's like, give me green M&Ms only. Like, what a diva. No, this is not about him needing that. It's, again, please go back to the lens we're using here. God knows our weakness to consistently begin to drift, to begin to look at other things as our source, to begin to overcompliment ourselves in our own ability, in our own strength, and to begin to forget him in our blessing. Are you hearing me, church? We have this tendency to begin to get comfortable when things start going well, and we forget that he's first, he's center, he's the one that brought us here, he's the one that we focus our life around, that we still need him. And so he puts these commands, he puts these practices, he puts these things saying, bring me the first, bring me the best. And bring it, I love this, as you harvest your crops, bring the very best first, the first of the first harvest, to the house of the Lord. Say first of the first. I love that. First of the first. And I love that he says, you shall bring it to the house of the Lord. Why do you think the Bible says, you shall bring it rather than you shall give it? He says, you shall bring it because you cannot give what doesn't belong to you. He's saying, bring me mine. Amen. You didn't give it to him. Come on, church. You didn't give it. You can't give it because it's not yours. You bring it. You bring his to him. And you bring it to the house of the Lord. The storehouse. That place where you get fed. Your, your house where you worship. Amen. There are only two choices when it comes to God's portion and his 10%. You can either bring his portion, you can either bring it. You can write this in your notes. This is good. There's only two choices with God's portion. You can either bring it or you can steal it. That's all you got. It takes faith to give God the first and believe the 90% will go farther than 100%. Do I have anyone in the room that will testify that the 90% will go farther than 100%? Would you raise your hand and give God a shout? Come on, give God a shout. If you believe that, if he's proven that the 90% will go farther than 100%, then you should be excited about that because that's him being faithful to his word. Amen. In Genesis chapter 4, 
verses 3 through 5. And again, I've been trying to take you on this journey to where you realize that these principles, these practices, they weren't just a part of the law that they've been from the beginning. This is part of how God wired it up. This is part of what God's expected from the beginning. Genesis chapter 4. This is all the way back in the beginning of the book. When it was time for harvest, verse 3, Cain, which is son of Adam and Eve, Cain presented, the Bible says, some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. I want you to hear the difference. When it was time for harvest, Cain presented some, say some, of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel, Cain's brother, there's a contrast here. Abel also brought a gift, but notice the definition. The best portion of the firstborn lambs. Can you see the difference in the two offerings? I want to make sure you caught that. Listen, the Bible doesn't mince words. Cain presented some of, say some of, some of his crops. We don't know how much. We don't know if it was the middle, the last. We don't know what portion. And if it's not saying it's the first portion, our assumption then is it wasn't the first portion. Because God specifically mentions of Abel's that it was the best portion and it was the firstborn lamb. Do you see the difference? Too many times people act like Cain. They bring some of their finance, some of their increase, some portion, some portion. Whatever's in their pocket, whatever they feel like doing, whatever's available at the end of the month. Come on, church. We act like Cain. But God's asking us to be like Abel. God's teaching us and training us to be like Abel, who brought his best and first. The Bible says here that the Lord accepted Abel's gift. The Lord accepted Abel's gift, but he did not accept Cain's, Cain or his gift. It wasn't just he didn't accept the gift, he didn't accept Cain in the spirit of which Cain did this. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. As a matter of fact, this is kind of the catalyst that created this murder spirit that came out of Cain, that his solution wasn't to go and honor God first, which God said, look, if you do right, it'll go right by you. That's what he said. But Cain's solution wasn't to go align himself and do right. It was, I'm going to go murder Abel. I'm going to go attack the one that's doing it right rather than doing it right myself. Man, that's fallen nature. Have you ever had anyone do that before? They accuse and criticize those that are doing right rather then join them, they'd rather tear them down. Come on, church. Abel brought the first and the best. Let me tell you why God cannot accept second. Hopefully this will help you. Why can't, why won't God accept second? Why won't he do it? Listen to me, listen. God can't accept the second because God cannot be second. This is a big deal. This is a big deal, my friends. This is a big deal to God. You say, well, God's being so harsh. Why won't he accept the second, the third, the final? Because God is first. 
This goes all the way back to that reality question. Do we believe he's real? Do we believe he's central? Do we believe he is almighty? Do we believe he is most high? Do we believe he is the source? Do we believe he is? And if he is all those things, then he cannot accept second. He even says it in, later in Malachi. He says, you go try to give some human kings or mayors second best. They won't take second. And they're fallen human beings. But in their own humanness, they're like, wait a minute, I'm a king. I'm a ruler. I don't want second. And here the ruler and king of kings and the God of the universe, we're trying to give him second. He's saying, you can't give me second because I, I'm never second. I am first. Preeminent. Amen. We say kind of naively, you know, that we put God first. But the truth is, even if we don't put him first, he's still first. We kind of give ourselves a little too much credit. I put God first. No, no, no. He is first. You're just acknowledging that he's first. Come on, church. Come on, church. Even if you choose to treat him like second, you do not rearrange his order in the universe. You are not that powerful. Amen. Cain did not bring the first and God cannot accept the second because he's first. The tithe must be first. God does not accept leftovers. Amen. A final thought. This last portion of the message kind of transitions from just, you know, saying first and best and portion to that temptation that we have of putting other gods before him. And for some reason, when it comes to money, there's a spirit on wealth, on money, that tries to move our focus and our trust away from God into money. There's a spirit behind it. It's not the money itself. It's not cash, it's not the cash itself. There's a spirit and it's gone all the way back to the beginning. There's a spirit and it's called a spirit of mammon. A spirit of mammon. The Bible says in Luke chapter 16, verse 10 through 14, he who is faithful in what is least, this is Jesus speaking, is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon or worldly wealth, who will commit to your trust true riches? And if you've been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your, if you've not been faithful with what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve Two masters. So Jesus is beginning to open this right now. This spirit of mammon. This temptation when it comes to wealth and money. No servant can serve two masters. You will hate the one and you will love the other. Or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Or be enslaved by money. Verse 14, the Bible talked about the Pharisees who were lovers of money. Remember, you're not allowed to give your love to idols. You're not allowed to give your worship. You're not allowed to give your trust. You're not allowed to give your 
honor to idols. Your love, your trust, your strength, your life is unto the Lord. Amen. I'll say it real quick just scripturally so that we don't get weird here. Money is not evil. 1 Timothy 6.10 says the love of money is evil. How can you love money? It's an inanimate object. It is not a God. It will not love you back. Are you hearing me, church? Money has no affection for you. So why would you waste your love on money? You give your love to God. You give your love to your family. You give your love to the people around you that God has given us to have a relationship with. We don't love things. We don't love money. And we definitely don't worship it or give it our life. Mammon is a spirit. So Jesus used this phrase, mammon, intentionally. This is a spirit. It's not about the dollar bills. It's not about the coins. Mammon is a spirit that attaches itself to treasure, to wealth. It can be traced all the way back to the Syrian gods, way back in the Tower of Babel, in Babylon, where they worshiped mammon, and they also said, let us make ourselves great. Notice that spirit where they began to worship getting, worship materialism, worship wealth, and all of a sudden, it began to give them this inflated confidence of themselves that we'll go ahead and make ourselves great. We'll go ahead and build a tower that reaches to the heavens. We'll make ourselves a throne on the earth. Don't you see that temptation in treasure, in wealth? Well, you can watch, even read some like novels and storybooks that we've read throughout the years where people see gold and it glistens and all of a sudden they start losing their minds to where begin thinking that treasure is the sole thing I need. They're willing to sacrifice family. They're willing to sacrifice themselves. They're willing to be completely sold out to get that which glitters, which is gold. And they begin to change and have this inflated view of themselves. That's that spirit, that temptation that can get on wealth and treasure. Remember, all of this is going back to God trying to pull us back from these tendencies we have to begin to worship these false gods. Remember, all of these practices, give me the first, give me the best. Are you hearing me, church? It's God trying to protect you from that temptation of the Midas touch, that temptation of trying to get the gold, of the temptation that that gold is what makes you valuable. That gold is what gives you protection. That gold is what makes you important and gives you meaning. Do you understand? God gives you meaning. God gives you protection. God gives you eternal life. God gives you happiness and contentment. But we can believe this temptation that if I only had more gold, I wouldn't need God. You wouldn't say that, but that's the way we live. Money is the answer to all my problems. No, it is not. God is the answer to our problems. His truth, His word, His spirit, His love, His forgiveness, His anointing. And if you don't have that right, and you begin to try to replace God for the gold, God knows what you're worshiping is false and it will let you down. And it angers Him, not because He's mad at you, but because He sees you loving something that will never love you back. 
He sees you going after something that cannot do for you what he's offering freely to do for you. Mammon says, let us make ourselves great. Let us build a life without God. If I have enough money, I have power. Money is influence. Money answers all. If I only had more money, I would be complete. I would be a success. I would be influential. I would be happy. I would be at peace if I have money. That's that spirit of mammon whispering in your ear. And then we go bow our knee and people are willing to sell out and do things that are wrong to get money. Come on. They're willing to break laws. They're willing to hurt people. They're willing to, and we begin to do things that are so out of who we're supposed to be, all to get more money. Like I said, money and riches are not your source. Money doesn't give you power and authority. Money doesn't give you your identity. Money doesn't give you your identity. Your identity comes from your heavenly father. Amen. And money doesn't even give you your influence. I know, again, again, that arrogance. People walk in, I have so much money, I am so influential. First of all, your life can be called of you tonight and all that money goes somewhere else. That's what the Bible says. And in the kingdom of God, your wealth means nothing. His streets are made with what you have given your life for. They walk on that stuff. And all that money can't buy eternity. And all that money can't buy peace. And all that money doesn't buy real influence. Are you hearing me, church? Some of the most influential people in this planet never had a big bank account. But they were filled with the power of God. And they were filled with the Spirit of God. And they spoke the truth. And they poured out love and they changed lives and impacted lives. And this world was so grateful that they were here. There's plenty of wealthy people that died that no one even knows they ever existed. Amen. By honoring God first with money and putting your trust in Him for the 90%, you are continually and intentionally aligning yourself as God is my source. That's why that practice is there. Again, I want to go back to say that money is not evil. And I also want to say that God is not against people becoming extremely blessed and wealthy. I don't want to give you the impression, aha, see, God doesn't like people being blessed financially. That is not biblical. Abraham was extremely blessed financially. God's children were consistently blessed when they obeyed God. And he promised them crops and harvests and cattle and olive oil and all these things that would be monetary and financial blessing back in their day and generation. King David was extremely blessed as king. King David almost gave a billion dollars of his own money to build the first temple. He had that much to give back to God. Isn't that amazing? In today's money. Maria quoted it in the beginning of service. Deuteronomy chapter 8.18. God gives you the power to get wealth. Why would God give you the power to do something evil? God does not tempt anyone. God does not tempt you to do evil. Are you hearing me, church? It is not the idea of the wealth that God's concerned about. If you will give him first, if you will keep him first and best in your life, 
then you can be trusted, are you hearing me, with the wealth because you're not going to go after it. You're not going to go worship it. You're not going to go make it your source because you have God at your center. So I don't want to give you the impression that God is against the idea of blessing. God's the one that blesses. But he doesn't want you again to take his blessing and begin to worship it and rely on it and forget him. And he knows we have these tendencies. So he commands us again, give him the first, give him the best. I'll repeat again what I said last week. You're not saved by tithing or giving your first and your best. This is not about your salvation. This is just about a response that we, his people, do because we've been saved. Because there's a grateful heart. Because, see, we're saved not because we gave our first and best. We're saved because God gave his first and best. And if God wouldn't have given his first and best, none of the rest would have been blessed. It's all the same process. Are you hearing me? We're not saved because we give our first and best. We're saved because he gave his first, his best. I want to make sure that's very clear. We are saved by grace. But the Bible tells us in the book of James. I want us to hear this. James chapter 2, verse 18. Some may argue. Some people say, I have faith. Others say, I have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you do not have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Here's the deal. We give God our first and our best because we are saved because we are now centered around him because he is now our god and money is no longer my god he is my source well where's an action that declares that that faith is not just words it's in my expression it's in the way i bring that first and best portion there must be actions that follow up what we say we believe and we say god is now center i've given him my life he has saved my soul he is my source. He is my God. So now there are these actions, these corresponding actions that then declare and keep us keeping him first and center. Is it easy, right? It's easy. And so it's one thing to say, God is first. We can sing about it. We can even pray about it. But there's also then these acts, these works, these things that God has command so that you express and you practice putting him first. You practice putting, say practice. You practice putting him first. We don't just say we put him first. We don't just say he is my God. He became my God through, by faith, through faith, by faith, by grace, through faith in Christ. We don't just say it. But he is your God now. He is your God. He is your source. He is your hope. Amen. All by grace, all by faith. But now these corresponding actions declare, keep us practicing these principles, protecting us from the spirit of mammon, protecting us from getting off the rails and worshiping and putting other gods before him. You have all kinds of practice, not just tithes and offerings. You have coming to church on Sunday. That's part of the same thing where we say God is our source. We honor God in our family. God is center. God is first. So then we start our week in the house of the Lord. Are you hearing me, church? So it's not just offerings. It's these different practices that we do that it's more than us just verbally saying God is first, God is centered. We need, there needs to be corresponding actions in our lives that point to that God is first. God, there is no other God 
There is no other God before him. Why? Because there is no other God than him. Stand up. Let's close in a word of prayer. Did you get anything out of that today, church? Give God praise for his word. God, give him a good praise. He is God. He is good. Amen. Let me pray this into your life. And I also want to pray to break that spirit of mammon off our lives. Is that okay? Because I also know that things like that can happen. And I'm not saying any of us are bad. I'm saying that God, even in his word, is saying this is possible. And so you can unintentionally and unknowingly begin getting off the rails and worshiping mammon, looking to money to be your source and things like that. So let me pray this over us. Heavenly Father, right now I come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these beautiful people that love you. And God, as we've presented your word today, where you, you are God, you are first. There are no other gods other than you. We do not, we will not worship any other God other than you. Lord, we do not make you second. We do not rearrange your order in the universe. You are first and we acknowledge it in our lives. God, I pray you begin to show us areas in our lives where we can begin to acknowledge you in practice. Whether it's tithe and offering, whether we gotta get that in line, we'll do it. God, whether it's how we align our week, we'll do it. Whether it's what we go to first, your word, or to other people's opinion, Lord, we'll go to your word. We'll align our life that you are first. You are God. And right now, Lord, I pray over all of us because it's in temptation where we can begin to believe that if we only had more money, we'd be happy. If we only had more money, we'd have no problems. If we only had more money, we'd be important. We'd be influential. And God, we can get off the rails and begin to serve, begin to go after, begin to worship this treasure, this gold, this spirit of mammon. And I break that off of us right now in Jesus' name. That if any of us, even in ignorance, God, have been looking and holding on to money as if that's what's going to fix our problems, this is what's going to save us, this is what's going to help us, God, we repent and we ask you today to help us to see you and you alone as our source and our center. That doesn't mean that we don't work, we do work, and then you bless our work. But God, we do not worship money. We do not go after wealth. We go after you. We go after you and your plans and your purposes. And we live a life of purpose. And we give you thanks. Protect this house from our hands going after anything or our lives going after anything that isn't you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say a big amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. All right. As we close, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means every single one of us needs the Savior. The Bible goes on to say that the wages of sin is death, separation from God, even hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. The Bible goes on to say that all who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so today we want to give you an opportunity to call on the name of the Lord Jesus. So if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes for the next 30 seconds, let me give you an opportunity. In just a moment, when I count to three, 
If you say, Pastor Kevin, I don't remember a time in my life that I've ever asked Jesus Christ to be my savior. When I count to three, just pop your hand up where you are and we'll pray a prayer together right where you are. Or you say, you know what? I used to have a relationship with God, but it's grown cold. I've drifted and I would really like to recommit myself to God today, 100%. If that's you, when I count to three, just raise your hand. Ready? Here we are. One, two, three. If that's you, would you please put your hand up today and let's get things right with God. There's a hand right here in the center. Wonderful. Anybody else today? Just pop it up. There's another hand in the back. Thank you. Anybody else today? Just put your hand up right where you are and we will pray a prayer. A third hand over there. Thank you. I see that. Thank you. Awesome. Praise God. Anybody else today? Don't leave this place out of relationship with the Lord. All right, church, let's pray together, would you? Everybody pray this prayer together so no one's praying by themselves. Repeat after me. Dear God, I thank you that you see me just as I am. I realize I've sinned and I've walked away from you. I receive Jesus Christ today as my Lord and my Savior. I believe that he died for me and that he rose again. Please forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me, make me new, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take every part of me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome home to all of you. Praise God. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.